week two of this series called To My Friend Who Left the Faith. To My Friend Who Left the Faith. And what we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks is why are people leaving church, turning their back on God, no longer interested in the things of, of, of the Lord, and why God wants you and I to thrive and how in a community full of a bunch of broken people. And so this is week two. Last week, we talked a little bit about how you can be plugged in and keep your heart from being hardened. It was called the hardened heart. And, and, and here's the thing is that the tendency is at some point in time, there's going to be conflict in the church. And at some point in time, there's going to be something that you don't agree with. And, and, and what I want us to look at is how we can thrive in a community full of broken people. And, and, and if you ever go find the perfect church, we said last week, please don't go there. You'll mess it up because you're broken and imperfect. And if you don't think you are, you can at least agree that your spouse is, right? No, no, don't do it. Don't do it. That was a trick. The verse that we're really hovering over for this series is Hebrews 2.1. It says, so we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard, or we may drift away from it. So last week we talked about the hardened heart. How do you and I guard our heart so that in time it doesn't grow calluses to the things of God? Because what I see is believers being influenced by culture rather than them influencing culture. And the things that they once held on to, they compromised. And then they compromised and now they get used to it. And then they get used to it and then they embrace it and then they celebrate it. And next thing you know, their heart is so turned from the things of God that they once held dear. We looked at a study that was done that said over a million people in the United States per year are leaving the church. Believers are leaving the church. And then I told you that a year from now, statistics show that 10% of you in this room will not be plugged into any church whatsoever. How, how do we avoid that? And so we're taking four weeks to really go through this. The main verse for, for the hardened heart last week was Psalms 51.10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That was the, the elixir for the hardened heart. And it's a constant one. Renew, renew, renew. So I'm going to remind you, if it's your first week here, or if you have a very terrible memory, where we are on this path. So last week, as promised, I told you it was called The Hardened Heart. This week is one of my favorite sermon titles of all time, The Dysfunction of a Church Hopper. That's what we're going to talk about. I found it funnier than apparently you did, but, but that's okay. Blessed are those who can laugh at themselves, for they will always be amused. First Opinions, chapter 4, verse 13. Next week is called The Power of I'm Sorry. And I'm actually, I think I'm going to change this title. Yesterday, as I was just kind of thinking through this series, I think I'm going to actually call it The Damage of a Hypocrite. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit next week about church hurt. Because inevitably, you probably have been wounded by somebody in a church setting. And if you haven't, you will. And how do we get through that and grow through that rather than get out of that? And so if you've been hurt in a church setting, do not miss next week. If you know somebody who doesn't go to church because they've been hurt or wronged in a church setting, I encourage you to invite them or share it on, on social media. And then the, the, we'll end it week four with the secret of Satan. Ooh, I'm going to talk about why Satan doesn't want you plugged into a community of believers. But this week is called the dysfunction of a church hopper. What is a church hopper? Well, I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm also going to tell you what it isn't. 
So a church hopper is like this industry term of people who just bounce around from church to church to church. And if you're visiting from another church, don't feel attacked today. I had some people sitting right over here that are like, we just left our church to go try a different one, and, uh, but it's not that way. Here's how I can tell you what a church hopper is not. It's a, probably an easier way to define it. A church hopper is not somebody who leaves a church for geographic reasons, theological reasons, or because maybe God works in different seasons and has brought you to a different place for a different time. That is not church hopping. What is church hopping are people who bounce around from churches with no desire and no intention of getting plugged in, of growing roots, and of developing relationships in a community. And they go in it knowing they're not going to do it, and they don't. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like, how we can avoid it, and why, and I'm going to make the case as to why that's not what is best for you and for your family. Now, full disclosure, if, if you have a home church and you're here visiting somebody or whatever, just stay there. If, if you're listening to this sometime in the near distant future online, we have people that listen to our Spotify uh, podcast from other states and a couple other countries, and it has to be a mistake, but somehow they keep downloading it, so that's fine with me. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, but wherever you are, I'm going to make the case why you should stay plugged in if it's not for geographic, theological, or different seasons. And, and I think we're going to take a look at this. But here's the tricky part, is that nowhere in the Bible does it explicitly talk about church membership and why it's important. I wish it did, because then I could sell it real easy. But it doesn't. Have you ever heard somebody, this is rhetorical, have you ever heard somebody say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian? Maybe some of you have said that. Theologically, is that accurate? Yes. It also doesn't say in the Bible that, you know, drinking gasoline is bad for you. I made that up on the fly. So it's hard. To, it's, hard. it's the best I could come up with. I have no idea why. But... but but here's the thing, is I think that you can see throughout all of Scripture this common thread that believers always understood that in the context of community is where they could grow the most. You see it throughout the Old Testament. You see it in the Church of Acts. You see it all throughout the rest of the, the New Testament of this idea that we need each other. And God said it's not good for man to be alone. And that we have to strengthen each other. We have to be there for one another, and that's the case I'm going to make for you today. Now, the first time that we really, is as close as explicitly as it states it, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul's talking about the body of Christ. And maybe you're familiar with it, and he talks about that some of you are the arm, some of you are the leg, some of you are the eye, some of you are the mouth, and that we're all together building this body of Christ. My grandfather used to say, if we're all different body parts in the body of Christ, some of you are the rear end. I didn't say that. You ever know somebody in a church setting that was clearly the rear end of the body of Christ? Pray for you if you're married to him. I, be serious now. Come on now. I, I, I want you to see the Bible verse that I really want us for today to hone in on. And it's in Psalms. Psalms 92.13. And it says this. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. Now that's Lebanon. It's not Wilson County, Lebanon. 
Uh, their trees are okay as well. But, but when I first read that scripture, I thought to myself, what does that mean, the trees of Lebanon? And are they actually talking about real trees or is it a metaphor? And it blew my mind. These trees were up to 120 feet tall. That's 12 basketball hoops stacked on top of each other. And, and, and some of just their branches would go out 50 feet. And they could withstand storms and droughts and cold seasons, and Tennessee weather. And then, and, and they could withstand those things. You want to know why? Because they had a root system and a structure that was designed to last. So now when I'm reading this, and, and he's saying that you need to be planted in the house of the Lord so that you can be a cedar, not only that, but the cedars, they provide nourishment for everybody around them. They provide shade. It provides wood so they can build structures. And, and, and so they actually revere these trees. They put it on their flag. They treat them with reverence because they're grateful for them. And that's what the picture that the, the psalmist is painting here is that that's what you are supposed to be in the house of the Lord, in a church. You're supposed to be there with the root system that can withstand a drought. You can be there in relationships that can withstand you and I maybe having little bits of conflict or disagreements that we can be here and continue to have everyone around us be better because they're near us. That's what he's trying to say. So why do people church hop from time to time? Why, what is the enticing thing about hopping around to different churches periodically for no real reason without any desire whatsoever to be in community? I don't think they're all bad reasons. But for those of you that grew up in a Baptist church, I have a three-point sermon for you. Some of you are like, oh, this is my comfort zone right here. Yes, a little three-point Baptist sermon for you. Point number one, Michelle, point number one. Oh, I know you love it, girl. I know it. Some of you, by the way, I did have one lady come up to me after the first service. She said, I have a problem with your message. And I was like, take a number, bro. My email address is gerald at TN. I said, what's the point? She said, you can't have odd numbers in your sermon. Like, it's got to be even numbers, like two, four, six, eight. Like, you can't have a three-pointer. And I was like, hey, all right. If that's the biggest complaint I get today, when number one, the reason people church up is commitment issues. Commitment issues. Some of you don't like to commit to anything. You ever signed up for a gym membership? I want to go month to month. I'm not signing up for 12 months. I'm working on this body of a God. It's Buddha, lowercase g, but it's body of a God. You ever signed up for a cable contract? I did. The guy's like, two years. I'm like, two years? Who knows what's going to happen to me in two years? We, we, we have grown weary of religious institutions. And so I think that we don't want to commit because we have commitment issues. And, and let's be honest for a moment. Some of you have said this phrase before. I like church. I just don't like being around people. Darling, you're going to hate heaven. You think heaven's going to be you over in that corner office with the door shut, hiding from the Pentecostals? I don't think so. See, what's happened is, is over the last 10 years of Western culture, we've become more and more isolated, and we think that's a better route for our lives than the 6,000 years of church history that have always said, we've got to do this together so we can help each other through this. We've got to unite. 
But we think we know better than 6,000 years of church history. Can, can I say something to be a little honest? It's rhetorical. I have a microphone. Let's be serious here. Some people, not y'all, don't want to be connected to the body of Christ, but they want all the benefits of the body of Christ. I want to attach myself to the body of Christ that I don't want to contribute. I'm just here. But I'm going to get as much nutrients as I can from the body of Christ without contributing. You're a parasite, a leech, a spiritual wart. I've already collected offerings, so I got your money. What are you going to do? <laughs> it's a hard truth, though, isn't it? If you've been showing up to this church consistently for a while and you're not serving in any capacity here, we need you. And God's equipped you. Start living on purpose and for purpose. During my 10 years of teaching middle school history, I saw some crazy stuff. I mean crazy stuff. Some of you are like, I have one teenager in my house and I'm losing my mind. I had 30 at a time, seven classes a day. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I miss about it? Nothing. No, just get help. <laughs> I miss a few things. But one of the things I miss is how entertaining it was. Like I had hundreds of crazy people that were like my own reality TV show and I would watch it every day and just watch the chaos unfold because middle schoolers are weird. They're downstairs right now, so don't worry about it. But, but middle schoolers are weird because they are pretty much kids. There's not a big difference between kindergartners and middle schoolers outside of some body odor. But, but, but they think they're adults. But they don't really know much about what adulthood is like, so they act out what they think adulthood looks like. And it is hilarious. One of my favorite things to do was to keep track of their dating relationships. I found it so funny. Like, a dude would ask a dudette out, and I'm like, bro, you're 10. You don't have a car. You don't have a job. What do you mean, like, you're going to go out? You 55-plus people, you, you just call it going steady. One time, this kid walks into my class. His name's Hayden. I don't remember his last name. There's a very small chance he's watching this. But, but he walks into my room like this. I had him for the last period of the day, and he's like, Mr. Ba. And I'm like, yes, Hayden. And he's like, I had three relationships, start and end, today. <laughs> and I'm like, congratulations, Hayden. And he's like, I know. <laughs> but that wasn't the best one. The best one was one time I saw this kid. He, he, he comes into my room. I found out about this after. And from when my 45-minute class started, he started dating the love of his life. He said it was his soulmate. And by the time my 45-minute lesson ended on the Chinese dynasties, not the most interesting topic in the world, but, but by the end, they had broken up. And they didn't even sit next to each other. And I talked the whole time. How did you go from the love of my life, what are our future kids going to be named, to broken up in a 45-minute lesson on the Chinese dynasties? It's impressive. 
Why am I telling this story? Is it because my charisma and charm is pulling you in, or is it because it has a deep theological truth attached to it? It's C, all of the above. That's correct. Here's what it is, though. Listen to this. Some of us treat church the way middle schoolers treat relationships. It's, I'm going to be here till it's good. And when it's not good anymore and doesn't meet my needs, I'm going to pull away and find somewhere else that's good. And what you see in that is you see this pattern of what's in it for me. Rather than, where does God want me to use the gifts that he gave me so that I can help further his kingdom, whether it's my preference or not, what's God's purpose that he wants to use me for his glory? You see the difference? See, we treat that like almost like a sticky note. You ever taken a yellow sticky note and, and stuck, stick it to something, and then you take it off, and then you, you raised your hand, and then you, you stick it to something else, and then you stick it to something else, and every time it doesn't stick nearly as good as it did before, and that's kind of how it is with church, man. The moment I leave this place because I'm offended for something, and then, then, then this place, and then what happens is, is I'm, I'm, I'm offended by something, and then offended by something, and, and, and what we see is this pattern of a lack of commitment. When I got here 30 months ago, half the church left. Never even met me. Never even heard me preach. They must have caught wind I wear these acid wash 80s jeans. Come on now. <laughs> they left. A place that they served so faithfully for so long and they left. Why? Not theological issues, not geographic issues. It's because it wasn't the direction they wanted. And they're the victims in it. You want to know why? Because a huge chunk of those people aren't planted in any church anymore. Gerald, how many pastors have you been through have been their administration since you've come to this church? How many different pastors? Four. Four different times, Gerald was planted in this house when different people came in with visions, different visions, different preferences, and now he's got a pastor who's half his age, and he's still here faithfully serving. Now, now let's, let's see what the power is of being planted somewhere. Watch this. If you're in this room and you've ever been affected by Gerald or Martha in a little way or a big way, but it was a positive way, raise your hand. Look around. That's, that's the benefit of being planted in a house of the Lord and grow like a cedar and nourish all of those around you. And that's what I think God wants for you. Let's move on. Number two. Before we get to number two, hold on, take that back off the screen. They're cheating. I see them looking. I do recognize, by the way, that some of you have commitment issues because of PTS from being hurt by people in the church in the past, and I recognize that. And that is not church hopping, but your wound will never heal unless you're in a community of believers that can help you. And we're going to talk about that extensively next week. 
Okay, you can put that back up. Number two, the most unpopular thing we're going to talk about today. But I'll be quick. Submission issues. People have a hard time submitting. I'm going to let you in on a little secret, Carly. Not, not because you have a problem with this. I was... <laughs> Let's, let's roll that back for a second. Yep. <laughs> you can't submit unless you disagree. You can't submit unless you disagree. There's a difference between submitting and complaining and just going along with it because you can't change it. That's not submitting. And we see this principle all throughout Scripture. Wildly unpopular topic. I'm about to give you a Bible verse that you probably wish you could have some spiritual whiteout and just take that out of Scripture. You ready for it? It's the writer of Hebrews, verse 13, 17. Have, let's talk about within a church setting. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you wildly unpopular topic of submitting to a spiritual authority. But submission is a hallmark of following the Lord. This whole thing is built upon this idea of not my will, but yours be done. And I think what we're seeing very practically right now is what we're seeing it play out right before our very own, our own eyes is, is, is a generation that grew up in a house in which could not submit. And now we have a generation of people who have no respect for law enforcement, very little respect for military, no respect for teachers, for principals, for parents, no respect for people who are gray-haired, because they've been raised in an area in which their parents showed a lack of submission. So, so here's my challenge. Oh, man, God convicted me on this a while ago. I found myself, if something happens at my kid's school that I don't understand or kind of disagree with, I verbalize that to my wife in front of my kids. What's that teach, though? That was me, not you. I'll take it a step further. Sometimes I have this tendency to complain about politics. And I do that in front of my kids. No, I like that when I am trashing the political party that I want to trash. But what's the deeper root there? Because my kids don't understand all of that stuff. It's no respect for people in authority. Okay, you can breathe. We're moving on. I want to show you this real quick before I move to point number three. I didn't share this in the first service. Uh, I feel like the Lord gave, I, I showed this to me in a spotlight during my, my reading yesterday, if you're on this reading path with us. And these are the words of Jesus. Uh, man, this is terrible light. Uh, and this is also like size six font. Uh, is, is these are, this is what Jesus is talking about. And he's talking about at the end times. Listen to what he says about people within the church. In case you care, it's Matthew 24. He says, uh, at that time, no, no, he's talking about believers at the end times during, during the tribulation. He says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn from the faith and will betray and hate each other. 
And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And I'm reading this and going, this is what we're seeing right now. This is Jesus warning us. Number three, the final one, Michelle, point number three, a culture of consumerism. A culture of consumerism. See, there's this tendency, and I have it too, to view church as if it's a product to consume. This is what I want. I like traditional worship, but not too traditional. I like the greeters to be friendly, but not too friendly. I want you to recognize a first-time guest, but don't ask me for my information so you can spam my email. There's a thing called unsubscribe. Just get the free coffee mug, hit unsubscribe on the email if you don't want it. That's a pro tip. But, but, but we, we, we view church as if it's a product to consume rather than a place that God wants you planted. Woo! I'm going to repeat that so you can retweet it, if I can remember what it was. <laughs> we view church as if it was a product to consume rather than a place where God wants you planted. And, and what happens with when you view church as what you want rather than where God wants you is it is very egocentric. What can I get out of this place? Does it fit what I want? Can I be honest for a moment? This isn't the place that I wanted to come pastor. No disrespect to y'all. Y'all weren't here. (laughs) But I was moving on up the corporate food chain, man. Y'all ever seen my resume? It's pretty impressive. (laughs) This isn't where my family and I wanted to go in the middle of COVID. The church of 28 people in it. Not my will. Where did God want me? And how can I just be a very small part of what he wants to do in this place? What if that was the posture of our heart? Listen to what 1 Peter says. 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So what he's saying is, is that you should use whatever God has given you to help other people. And then he uses the word steward, meaning whatever skill set I have, it's not mine. God's given it to me, and my goal is to steward it for his glory. Now, clearly, Peter talked to George Strait about this because George Strait's song, Just Give It Away, falls right along with this idea, like, just give it away. Listen to what Paul writes to the church of Galatia, 6, 2 through 3. Carry each other's burdens, underline that word, burdens, in a way that you will fulfill the law of Christ. In this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfill it, complete it. If anyone thinks there's something they are not, they deceive themselves. Carry each other's burdens. But guess what? I'll never know what your burdens are if you hop around in a place and purposely avoid relationships. I won't know what your burdens are. You won't know what mine is. And then you know what happens? We're able to put that mask on where we pretend that everything's okay. And then the person next to you has that same mask on. And we're all perfect, and then you leave broken. And inevitably, when you stop coming because you succumb to what Satan has told you, no one notices you're gone. 
And now Satan has you exactly where he wants you, alone, with no community, and no one to help you during the difficult times. And we can put that mask on that everything's great. The dysfunction of a church hopper is that some people like going to a place where no one knows who, who they are, and they don't have to know anybody else. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's nice to be anonymous and show up. It's, it's kind of nice. Because then if I, don't, if I take the Sunday off, I don't show up for a while, no one calls me out on it. How does that work out for you? Yeah? Do you look at your life after, you know, 6, 12, 18 months not being plugged in church, and you're like, man, things are so much better. This is great. Have you ever heard anybody say, I've already done my time? Oh, I served for years before you got here. Don't tell me I need to go serve. You don't even know. I've done my time. Show me where in Scripture it says that you're finished and can go to the retirement community while you're still alive here on earth. Show me. I want to show you two people in the Bible. It's in Acts 18 that got it and that can show us we can learn a lot from them as to what it looks like in a different season of following the Lord. I, I, I want you to see this. It's two people. Priscilla and Aquila and the effects that they had on a young man by the name of Apollos, a young man who preached boldly in fiery sermons, definitely wore skinny jeans and Chelsea boots. And I want you to hear what Priscilla and Aquila did. Small little portion of scripture. Some of you have probably never heard of them before, but I think heaven's going to be full of some people in giant mansions that the world has never heard of before. We're in Acts 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius, the emperor, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. So what we see in the book of Acts is we see Paul going around and planting all of these churches, training their leaders, establishing them, then moving on to the next. And when he moves on to the next, he's still sending letters to the other ones just to check in on them, sometimes to send them a verbal spanking, sometimes to write them just to, you know, to, to encourage them. But he's, he's going around. And during this time, he runs into two people, Priscilla and Aquila. Now, I'm saying it in that order because this is important. Because historians have pointed out that in this portion, Aquila is named first, but in the next and on the heading in your Bible, it actually says Priscilla's name first, which is very unusual at the time because the female is listed before her husband in name. Now, that's not to be chauvinistic, but the culture was what family you came from and what your last name was was important, and that's passed down through the males. But this one, the woman, is mentioned first. So historians say it's probably because she came from an important family line. And that at the time, people would have known who Priscilla was. You know, maybe they were wealthy. Maybe she was royal blood. We don't really know. But we know she's mentioned first, and that's unusual. And so they run into Paul. They start seeing what Paul's doing. They start helping him. And they start traveling with him. Now, we don't know how old they are. But Scripture implies that they're seasoned that they've been around a while. And they encounter a young man by the name of Apollos. Now, 
full disclosure, a lot of historians, I almost said most, that's not true. A lot of historians and theologians say that this Apollos is actually who is the writer of the book of Hebrews. Most people settle in on Paul or Apollos because they have some similar characteristics, but we don't know. But either way, when you read the book of Acts, you'll hear about Apollos. And I want you to hear what the Word of God, how it describes him, and then it says what Priscilla and Aquila, the role they played in the development of Apollos. Verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He, had instruct, he was instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explain the way of God more adequately. So Priscilla and Aquila run into this young man named Apollos, and he's preaching with fervor. He's preaching boldly. He's in the synagogues, but Scripture says he, has, he doesn't have the complete knowledge of Jesus, and odds are it's because he, he didn't get a chance to actually interact with Jesus. So it's all secondhand information. But Paul had an encounter with Jesus. And so at the time, not enough time had gone by for all of the things of Jesus to dissipate. Remember, the Gospels aren't written yet. And so Priscilla and Aquila, who learned under Paul, and Paul had an encounter with Jesus, they knew. And so they thought, this guy's got all the talent in the world, but he's missing just a few things, and I think we can help him. Do you see the difference between that and how some churches are with the more seasoned people when they see a young person with talent? When they see a young person that may not be completely theologically accurate, but they're not inaccurate, and they haven't had a whole lot of life experience, but they are trying. And they're here, bold. And in some churches, not this one, I promise you it's not this one, the more seasoned people, the Priscilla and the Aquilas, this is what they would do. You see what they're doing? What you, what's she thinking? She's going to try to lead that Bible study. I remember just a couple of years ago when she got divorced. And she, what's, what's he? No. He needs to just relax and let us run this church. We've done this for a long time. We know what we're doing. Instead, I see Priscilla and Aquila see a young person who's got so much promise so much talent and a heart for the Lord and they may not be completed yet but Priscilla and Aquila have this posture of I can help them and I'm not going to help them out in public or at a meeting or on social media what's it say they invited him into their home when was the last time you invited somebody in this church to your home example even further when he's sitting in a Roman jail cell about to die and he knows it and he spends the last few weeks of his life writing letters to Timothy and Titus and he's saying even here with my last breath I'm going to keep pouring into the next generation 
and not make them wait till I'm dead before they step into leadership roles, but I'm going to let them be the church of the now. And behind the scenes in my own home, I'm going to encourage them and teach them. If you've been walking with the Lord for decades, you don't think you have something that you can contribute and teach? You don't have any wisdom and experience that you can contribute? Because you've done your time? Now, young people, notice the humility of Apollos, though. He listens and he learns and he applies and he gets better but we often think if they're older hey it's your you've already done your time i know what i'm doing and, and if you don't think you can learn something from somebody who's walked with god for decades and decades you've become so wise you've become a fool so if you're here and you're not contributing one of two things is happening you're a spiritual glutton or you have bought into the lie that you done and don't have anything else to give. I don't see it in scripture. We need you. When your time is done, you'll know it. Because you'll be dead. I want to show you something. This is a tree. church. I can go move to the church down the street. It's not going to go in the Unitarian church though, let's be serious. <laughs> but it's going to go in all of these different churches. It's mobile. It's great. Convenient. When it's cold outside, I just bring it inside. But that's as big as it's going to get. It will never grow stronger. It will never grow bigger never have a root system. If it provides fruit, first of all, that'd be a miracle because it's not a fruit tree, but you get the point. But if it provides fruit, it's going to be such a small amount that it may only be able to take care of one or two people, one or two meals a month. But it won't benefit you. It's in my house. on the timeline when you think they should get answered. It will not grow weary. It will not rot when it goes through difficult times, a drought. It'll survive. Just plant it. And it will provide shelter and sustenance for everything around it. See, the dysfunction of a church hopper is, is that things become easier for you, but they don't become better. Jesus never promised us that life would be easy, but he did promise us that it would be worth it. So my challenge to you is whatever church you land on, plant yourself there till God tells you to move because God needs you to build his kingdom. And that 
does not have a shelf life with age. And here's the really cool part. Ephesians 2.10 says that God put these works in place for you ahead of time. You know what that means? You can't sin away from your purpose. So you messed up a lot. God still put that plan ahead of time, knowing you would be wherever you are today. So no matter what you've done, that purpose is under full warranty. And we need you. Kingdom of Heaven needs you. 